If you're passionate about property investing or thinking about buying your first investment property, then the Property Success Podcast is for you. It's full of tips, tricks, strategies, special guests, and personal development secrets to help you have a better lifestyle, more freedom, and more choice. Okay, good morning, Rosalind Bell, and welcome to Property Success Podcast. I think this is our 14th episode, um, and we're sort of, uh, we've just been discussing off camera there that we were in lockdown, we were out of lockdown, and now it looks as if we're kind of heading back into some form of lockdown again, um, well, definitely in other places in, in the British Isles. Um, so how are you, Rosalind? How's things? Yeah, I'm good, Chris. I'm good. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for inviting me. Good stuff. I know, um, obviously known you for the last few years, that you've got lots of interest and stuff. And I know that the people listening are going to get loads and loads of takeaways from this. Um, I'm just going to start off uh, by asking you, Rosalind, to tell us a little bit about your background. Um, you're Obviously, you're into property. You're a businesswoman. Were you always into property? How did you get into property? And why did you get into property? Okay. Um, well, I wasn't always in property. Um, I worked for a company uh, on the management side um, and looked after finance. And finance was kind of, you know, um, crunching the numbers within a business and making that work and growing businesses. That was um, where I came from. Um, and it was a family company I was working for. And much as they were lovely, um, and the guy that I worked for was very... Um, dynamic and you know and we definitely thought outside the box it was wonderful but I really wanted to have a business of my own and that it, it had been something that was burning inside of me for quite some time and um, I was on my way home from working in that for that company one day and my car slid off the road and I was almost killed in a, a car accident and then whenever I um, and I say that rather flippantly, and as you know, Chris, we've talked about this before, it wasn't flippant. It uh, took me quite some time to recover. I had to learn to walk again and all. And starting a business was the furthest thing from my mind. But then it started coming up again as I went integrated back into work and felt like really I want to do something with my life. And I'm sure everybody watching this, you know, there'll be people who'll say, yeah, that was me or people who saying, yeah, that's where I am. Because we all feel like that. We want to do our own wee thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, then four days before my 30th birthday, I was diagnosed with cancer and um, a huge shock. And I was lucky because I was able to have surgery but and have it removed. And whenever I was lying in my hospital bed, I dreamed my dream. And I realized that life was really short and that I now had the chance of life twice. And it was up to me now to go and do something with it. Now, at that time, whenever I was diagnosed, they'd give me 10 years and they wouldn't be sure. It was kind of remission um, to keep it short. And so I was 30. And um, in my mind, my children, I have twins and they were six year old, no, seven. And so I thought, well, I'll be 17. And anybody who has seven year olds thinks 17, they're grown up. And anybody who has 17 year olds and grown up know that that's a lie. But. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, they were seven. And um, I, 
I really wanted to do something and fashion. I loved clothes. I loved style. Um, and it wasn't just something flippant now because my mother had been a buyer um, for a ladies department store and my older sister was a buyer. So and it was kind of always in our genes, this thing about clothes. So I decided that I would buy a shop and open a boutique. And that was my first business um, that I started in 19... Um, I have to think now what year it was. Uh, it was in 1996, uh, 97, 97. Yeah. Um, so I'd started that nine months from surgery and really, you know, it was a bit of a, a, a huge take on. But you know what? It also was the power of your mind because all I could concentrate recovering from my surgery and from the cancer was the new beginning. It was like I had created a whole new world for me. And you know what? It, it, and, and you know, Chris, why I like sharing my story is you don't have to wait to have cancer or you don't have to wait to have a car accident. You actually can create a whole new world for yourself at any given time. It's just like, what is the, the factor that pushes you to have that courage to do it? Um, and so in my, um, in my kind of naiveness, I suppose, and we're all naive in business and there's no right, there's no wrong, it's what works for you at the time and where it takes you to where it is that you wanna go. And sometimes you don't even know where that was because whenever I opened my boutique, I was sure that that was the thing that was gonna make me brilliant money for the rest of my life. And much as it did make me money, I realized very quickly that uh, my mother had been, as I said before, a buyer. My sister was a buyer. But being a buyer and actually owning the business is two different things. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and as we all know, it's, you know, the money in, the money out. Not, some days it's only that much or some days it's that much. In yeah. the middle is your profit. And, that's, um, and because I came from finance, I always think it was a really good start um, because I knew as I call it, the business behind the business, which yeah. is what is that thing that that is ultimate that makes me money. And, and it is being able to sit down, you know, once a month and say, really be really, really tough and put it all down on paper and say, what's working? What isn't working? How can I make that better? What can I do to make it better? And, and where do I think that this could take me? And it's about being flexible and, and, um, and knowing that, you know, um, that you can create it and make it because all the time you are creating with your own business. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, um, I decided then that what kind of a business could I have to run alongside, <laughs> alongside a boutique, being a mother of two children and being a wife and run which along. A, which is another business. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Really. And it is, it is. It's all, all micro businesses within the business. You, know? so you, were, you were thinking there with um, you're running a business and you've two small children and all the spare time in your hands, you needed to go and find another business to run alongside that or, or lack of spare time. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I suppose, Chris, subconsciously, I was looking something that, you know, if I did manage to live beyond 40 and if I had, you know, my injuries came back on me and, and what we call now, because I didn't have a, a degree or, you know, much, um, you know, I didn't go to business school or anything. And really what I was doing was forward planning, you know, and I think whenever you're in your 30s, 
and you have that business, so long as you have that business that creates an income, that's the thing that sustains your bread and butter. Yeah. And to have another business to, that pushes you away out on long-term investment is a really good thing to have. Um, and, and so I started property investing and I decided that I would start close to home. And I lived at Market Hill and I bought a little two up, two down street house in Portadown. Now I bought probably in the one of the best streets that I could buy in. Um, and, and my first property, you know, people talk about a doer upper, you know, and get that thing that you build value in. But you know what you see for your first few properties, personally, I think what you want to do is find something that rents immediately. Yeah, just get it because done. Yeah, because you can mortgage all of that. And the other thing is your rent is paid in advance. Your mortgage is paid in arrears. So whenever you get that key, you've got 30 days to get that tenant in and you've yeah. got the mortgage money. Yeah. And, and that was how my head was thinking at the time. Okay, if I just had something that... Um, and, you know, I, I was saying I started the boutique in 87. Like this was in 1988 that no sorry 1998 yeah. that i done this and not many people were probably investing you know and my husband at the time he he was a builder and he said to me you don't even know what you're doing and i was like i do <laughs> <laughs> and he said you know how are you going to rent this and i said well and I, I can remember looking at him and, I, and do you know the way you're young and you you you've that fight in you like and the red mist came down and i just I just looked at him, took out an envelope out of my hand, out of my handbag, wrote my name and my mobile number on it and stuck it in the window. Two days later, a family rang me and they came and viewed it and they rented it and they rented it for the whole time that I owned that property. Wow. Yeah. And they even would call me up and they'd say, can we put down new carpet? We've got a wee grunt. Do you know, can we put down the carpet? Can That's we not the kind of thing to want to hear. <laughs> I know, isn't it? <laughs> oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's funny that you, you, you tend to get particular tenants, like uh, maybe special tenants every now and again. Like we've had the same tenants in the property since uh, September 2006. Well, actually, we've never had a gap and they've all been kind of related. Um, yes. One moved out, another one moved in, then they moved out, somebody moved in, and it was all friends, and as soon as they, they would replace each other with somebody else, and since about 2009, I think, we've had the same tenants, like 11 years, and they're the same, we never hear from them, rent on time, month after month after month, they might ring up and say, uh, oh, you know, we, the oven's not working properly, we'll buy them a new oven, but they're the same, painting and decorating, putting carpet down, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, but Chris, that I was just listening there to hear what you had to say there. And what you said, if if they ring and they have a problem with the oven, you get a new cooker, you know, and your reaction is really good. And that's what I find over 23 years of property investing. Whenever you look after your tenant, they look after exactly. your house and they totally respect you. And they also, you know, if they're leaving, they nearly would get another tenant for you. And yeah. people are, you know, people are really desperate to be with the good landlords because there are so many horror stories of bad landlords and whenever you are good to your tenant they will always come back yeah, yeah it's definitely it um, works you know if, if you look after them they look after your property and they have a desire to stay with you for a long time and, and they, they know that you're you're not just in it for the money 
Yeah. All these landlords out there, like the horror story landlords, you just know they're in it for the money. They don't do repairs. They never change the carpet. You know, yeah. they expect stuff to last for 10 years instead of three or four years or whatever it happens to be. You know, so if you look after people, they know that you're not like the sort of the scumbag landlords. Yeah. As, as people yeah are. yeah and I, just, I think that that you know if you want to get into property investing that's really good advice to yeah. know your land know your tenant you know yeah. you can what i do is personally i give it to a lent letting agent to find me a tenant yeah. and then after that i manage the property yeah. because i find over the years they the land the person will ring the the the, the agent and the agent could take a day or two to get back to me. And then, you know, and there's gaps in between where they could be without a fridge for a week because of breakdown of communication. Or if they can call me directly, I can get the fridge delivered the next day and they're happy. And there's a quick response in that, um, you know, it builds up a loyalty and a trust between yeah. you and your tenant. Absolutely. I mean, there's not there's there's nothing worse than somebody like the oven is tripping or something like that. It won't stay on, and it takes somebody a week to get it replaced. You know, when when you think well, you can buy an oven from anywhere. If you've got an electrician, you can say, you know, can you go and do that? Get it done straight away. Because somebody yeah, yeah. without an oven that can't cook for a week, you're asking them to go and spend more money outside and takeaways, and not yeah. everybody wants to do that. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's um. Th there was a question I had scribbled down while you were um sort of giving your intro there. Where did the desire come from to get into business or property? You know, because a lot of people start out in life, and as you said there, you were in management and in a finance capacity. People would be listening in and thinking, "Why would you want to give up a good job like that?" But but you said you did because you wanted more. But so where where did that? Sort yeah, of well, I find. Do you know what I find? Um, my boss was absolutely fabulous to the point of it was me who signed most of the checks in the business, not him. Do you know? Yeah. And, and he let me do whatever I want, you know, how I felt that the business needed to move forward. And and, and it was a great learning curve and it was brilliant because it gave me all of those um, experience at all of those things. But whenever things went wrong and he he didn't listen to how I... I could roll it out, you know, and to move it forward in a direction that could help the business. And I would explain to them what, him what we needed to do. He didn't want to do that. Yeah. But then I had to clear up what, the decision that he made. And yeah. it was becoming very frustrated with me. And I think that, um, you know, that, that book, The Strength Finder? I haven't heard of it, no. Oh, well, a little tip for everyone. Get the book called The Strength Finder by uh, Tom Rath. And the book means nothing. Um, you go to the back of the book and there's a little um, code. You put that into your computer and you answer, I think it's like 120 questions. This might be me, maybe no, definitely not. You know, yes, possibly, you know. But anyhow, it gives you your five top strengths. And whenever I I looked at it, um, you know, in your personality and your and how you work, and my number one was just, strategic so it like my strength is to move the thing forward my second one was um maximize so how to make the best out of everything and my third one was um futuristic so and and i actually whenever i looked at that futuristic i could see how i was always thinking forward thinking yeah. forward and sometimes yeah. i miss thinking in the moment yeah. but and then you go to each one of those bits and it tells you exactly how you work. Now, it can also tell you 
you know, what type of a team you need to build around you to, to, for the strengths that you're missing and that you need. Yeah. It's a really good book and highly recommend it. I, I, I definitely will have a look at that. It's kind of like a personality. Yes. Your personality yeah. and it gives you an insight into what you need to be focusing on and maybe what you need to be letting other people focus on. No, yes. it sounds great. Um, it is. And I suppose your strength there then is that you had great vision. Um, yes. You're able to plan ahead because a lot of people... I, th I think having vision is something that a lot of people don't have, you know, especially when it comes to maybe, you know, we talked at the beginning there about fixing up properties. Yeah, Some yeah. people walk into a property and are, are scared by the condition of it. You know, they look around and think this, this place is a bit of a shithole for want of a better term. No, it, scares no. people, it scares people off, whether, whereas other people walk in and go, oh, I can smell the money in this place, you know. Um, I know, I know. And do you know what? I, I, whenever it's all crumbling wreck, I can see whatever and have done in the past. Um, and I go, wow, the potential is just wonderful. And I, do you know what? And I thought everybody could see that. And it's oh. learning to appreciate that everybody isn't the same. Yeah. Um, do you know, but yeah, yeah, it's good. And, and when you were in that job or in those early days, uh, Obviously, you had some major challenges there, you know, being diagnosed with cancer and being told you, you what they say you would have 10 years to live or you might have 10 years to live. Well, they, they kind of, they said that they could guarantee me 10 years and because of the treatment, it could come back again after 10 years. But I will tell you now, I'm, I'm another, what, uh, uh, 14 years further on on top of the 10 years is 24 years ago, so I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, you shouldn't have told us your age back then, Rosalind. We could have kept your age a secret then. But no, um, I mean, you know, made major challenges and, you know, the, the visionary thing kicked in there where you were planning for at least if I could get my kids were 17, I could set things up from, and they could be comfortable. You know, and I, I suppose it's a, it's a strange comment to make, but it, you wouldn't like to be having that told to you today, you know, with what, what, what we're going through, you know, mm. if you were diagnosed with cancer today, you know, treatments, well, would you be, would you be treated today? Would you be put to the front of the list or would you be sort of left on the shelf, so to speak, the, you know, the, just the way yeah. the things we're going through at the minute, it's, um, you know, if ever there was a time for somebody to tell you that it was probably back then and not, not oh, in yeah. today's world. Cause it's, um, it's, it's a bit strange. Um, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, for for 30 years of age, you've already nearly died in a car crash and then being diagnosed with cancer. It's a lot for a, a, a young woman to be to, to be going through. And it's admirable the way you coped. And I'm lucky enough to hear your story, um, you know, live uh, in, in a network event one time and also to read your book, which is I'll Be Home in 20 Minutes, just to get you a little plug in there. Thank um, you. So moving on then to the, 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 property port, the, the property business or the property portfolio, you bought one property. Did you, did you think you were going to buy more or did you just think, I'm going to buy one and see what happens? Or No, no, Chris, I had the plan. I had a plan. I, 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 kind of, I thought I'll buy four of these within a year. Oh. That, was my, that was my plan for the first year. And it probably took me about 14 months to get four, but I was still on track. Why and four, Rosalind? I, I don't know. It just seemed like the right number. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
So it wasn't, it wasn't like four cash flows of 250 quid. Well, it probably was. It probably was, yeah. So like it was like 200, I was going to make 200, you're right. I was going to make 200, 240 pound a month, a month profit on the first one. And then by the time I had four, that 240 was 240 a week. You're right. That's exactly the way my head was thinking. So okay. that was why I was going in force. Yeah. And, and I, suppose, I suppose back in them days, what, 1998, um, four properties at 240,000, a thousand pound a month is a nice wee side income for, for someone. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was nice. It was, yeah, and, and I was like kind of fish happy with that, but then I wanted to go faster. And then I, I kind of got this feeling, well, if I... If I keep on going, and there is no right and there is no wrong, because if somebody is extremely comfortable with that two up, two down street house, and I done the maths one day and, and thought if I had, you know, I think I wanted to have a million pound in property by the time I was 40, because if I died, my children would have a half a million each. That's yeah. the way they had was thinking. Yeah. And, and, and I actually done the maths, and I think it's like something like um, I needed to have, was it? Uh, roughly about 50, 50 of these wee street houses. And if I had a, had 50 of those street houses, I still would have been in a really good position and still in a good position today. So there is no right and there is no wrong, but it's like, what do you want? So I wanted quality more than quantity. Quality of life? No, well, quality of life, but quality properties instead yeah. of I, instead of having, you know, fifty, I only wanted to have twenty. Say, yeah. you know, that was my That's thought. Really yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. So I gone to London on a buy-in trip, and I, I, you know, I kind of talk about putting it out there, and I don't know how, you know, I don't know where it is, and I don't know what it is, but I would like to have quality instead yeah. of quantity. Sorry, just when you say there, you went to London on a buying trip, that was yeah. a buying trip for the boutique? For the boutique, yeah. yes. You weren't going to buy property at the time? No, no, yeah. no. So I went into London to the buy to buy a, a label of clothes for the boutique. And on the coffee break, the girl um, said to me, oh, I'm absolutely knackered. And I said, what, why, what's wrong? And she said, oh, my neighbour next door. She was in last night and having tea with me. And she's crying because her husband is away to America and she the flat seal has fell through three times. Now, I could have said that's awful and sat and had my coffee, but I said, flat? What flat? How <laughs> <laughs> much would one of these flats be? And what would the rent be? And it transpired. The flat was 100000 and the rent was... Um, Think that, and the rent, the, the, the rent was equivalent to four rents in Portadown, four, four months rent in Portadown. Yeah. And the house was equivalent, the flat was equivalent to four houses in Portadown. And, you know, and you can say, oh God, you know, people listen can go, God, didn't she get lucky? But you know what? It's not about luck. It's about being a listening for yeah. what it is that you want. Yeah. It's creating, you know, it's the same thing as, you know, I think I might like to buy, you know, a, a, a black A5 convertible order. And all of a sudden you see loads of them on the road because your awareness comes yeah. up. And this was the same. I had created this awareness, even though I didn't even know those yeah. words at the time, but I created this awareness for it. And um, that I said to the girl, 
gosh, well, would you let me look at it? And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, I might be interested in buying it. And, and that night I went and viewed the property. And, and at that time, I never heard the word, word below market value, yeah. but I knew she wanted 100,000 for it. I knew I didn't want to give her all the money. I knew she was desperate. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I offered her 90,000 for it and she took it. So ju just to put this into a wee bit of perspective for people that are listening, your, your properties in Portadown were sort of in and around the 25 grand mark. Yeah. Um, so four of them's a hundred, you're get your one yeah. property in London on for a hundred. I'm sure the rent must've been some 15, 1600 pound a month at the time. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it was 1600. That's the same as four properties in Portadown. I, I mean, straight away for me, um, well, for somebody else listening in, that would be like today buying a buy to let at a hundred and then going and buying one at 400,000 somewhere else. Exactly. That exactly. Would, that would freak people out. I know. And but do you know what, Chris? If, if you're covering the rent with four times the amount of rent, I'm not sure that would be the case now. But but back then, that, that's literally what was happening for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I was, there was a part of me freaking out and thinking, oh, good God, the amount of money. And then there was another part going, no, 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 seven paper, do the sums. Yeah. Do the sums. Yeah. Do you know, it's equivalent to four houses, it's equivalent to four rents. You can do this. Yeah. And it's four less repair bills. It's four less, but three, well, three less repair bills, three less tenants. But yeah, three less kitchens, three less bathrooms. Yeah. That's how yeah. I talk, yeah. you know. Exactly. So, I mean, when you put things in perspective, um, even though it was probably scary or it might seem scary back in the, back in the time, it was actually fitting in with what it was you wanted. Yes, yes. And, and you know, and that's what I call at a at, at certain level, you know, times you're building your business, you go in at what was comfortable, you know, what you can deal with. And, and you know, like people say to me, I'd love to be a millionaire. And I said, you know, well, you know, I am. But how do you get to be a millionaire? Well, you don't get to be a millionaire overnight. And it's small steps because you can't deal with the big number thing, you know, because it takes time to get used yeah. to it because it's, there's big ins and there's big outs. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that, that was one time whenever I, you know, I was comfortable in the four houses. And as I said before, I could have went on like that and, and yeah. that would have been good, but I, I needed to step myself up. And that is as, as starting your first business again and that's how you evolve and you grow yourself that wee bit more all the time yeah absolutely absolutely um so what happened then Rosalind you bought that property I know the story I'm lucky I know, to I know. Story, but it's <laughs> set it up for people so that um and then I um I bought three more of those no two more the third one I was out bed uh, the fourth one I was outbid um, and they were rocketing up in price. Yeah. And I just felt like I couldn't do it. Looking back now, I should have, but it just felt too scary. Yeah. And I pulled back. Um, and so I had three of those in London. Um, and, and that was as far as I could go. Like within the, that first one, I bought at 90. The second one, I bought at 120. And the third one, I bought at 180. And within a year, they were all worth two fifty. But wow. having said that, um, there's like the 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 property in that area in London seems to sit on a plateau for about four or five years, and then all of a sudden it just rockets up 
and then it sits at that for about another four or five years and rockets up again. I could see a pattern after a while. Um, so yeah, I bought those three and that was as far as I could go. And, you know, now what, I was- What was the time scale for buying those three, Rosalind? Um, I've probably done that over a couple, about two years. About two years. So I, I suppose yeah. from the, the, the sort of, oh my God, a hundred thousand pound, but yet ended up buying it for 90 and a couple of years later, it's worth, you're buying, a, you're buying a similar one for 180, but mm -hmm. they're all worth about 250. You know, it just shows you what, what um, capital growth is capable of, as you say, in, in, in spurts, all of a sudden it shoots away up. Yeah. Um, and you can make some nice money out of that. Yeah, yeah. And you can just happen to get in at the right time. The right time. Do you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so, like, yeah, so within four, four, within four years, I had a million pound in property. Yeah. Lovely. What, yeah. Was that, was that the plan, um, to have the million or the 50 houses or? Um... Well, the, the plan was 10 years. So it oh. shows whenever you put your mind to it, what you actually can achieve whenever you really become absorbed in what it is that you, whenever you're very clear about what you want. Sorry, you know, I'm just I'm just noticing, and I'd scribble down there, you'd, you'd want a half a million for each of your, your, yeah, your children. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd got to the, the million. All, all you needed to do was have these properties unencumbered and there was half a million pound each for... Yeah, yeah. Or they all had life insurances. So if I die, they yeah, pay off. You know? yeah. yeah. So, and, 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 you know, Chris... It is about being really clear about what it is that you want, but also about having the courage to be, to move forward with your clearness. Because yeah. sometimes like we're very clear about what we want and then it comes along, like just say that flat in London and I could have made the deal with the girl, went home and said, oh God, no, that's far too much. Yeah. Do you know? And that would have been okay. Because as I said before, there's no right and there's no wrong, but it is about having the courage to take that step. You know, you asked for it. It yeah. came. Why are you not taking it up? Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to live re with regret of, yeah. you know, looking back and you could have been sitting with 30 or 40 small, uh, two, two up, two downs, and they're causing you all sorts of problems and thinking, you know what? I missed an opportunity there because I didn't yeah. move forward. Yeah. I wasn't determined yeah. enough and I didn't commit enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and you know, Chris, like there's a time to sell as well. You know, we build up these properties and then we're like, well, we'll put it all in the treasure chest and keep it there forever. And that's not the right thing to do, as I have found out on the back end of things as well. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've, I've yeah, had that so I. Myself, um, you know, anything you ever buy, you're going to hold on to it for a lifetime, N never sell. And over the years, as things change, you think, you know what, I'm just going to get rid of that one. Um, yeah. If, yeah. if it doesn't, if it doesn't suit you, or it's not floating your boat anymore, or it's not in the area that you want to invest in anymore. Why not sell it, take your money, and go and invest in something yeah. else? That, that yeah. Suits yeah, your... and I, I think like if you've if you've doubled your money, you know, so if you bought it at a hundred and it's now worth two hundred, well, if you want to sell it, sell it. It's yeah. been a good deal, you yeah. know. Absolutely. Um, um, what what happened after that, Rosalind? So yeah. you're still you bought in London. You're still running the boutique, um, and you know, did you, did you buy more property in London? Did you come back home and buy more property? Well, I can I I I was just running all of that, and um, my my 
I was, yeah, looking after, I, I, like I said before, I always got the agent to get tenants and then I looked after the tenants. So, you know, I was, there was four in Portadown, the three in London, and there was a run the boutique and being a mummy of, of twins and run the household. And so it was busy days. And um, I felt like I was catching myself on the way back almost. And I could, I was, you know, I, I, I was so busy. I didn't have time hardly for a day off or anything like that. And then my dad um, died of cancer and he was 57 and he was like all the time, whenever your mummy and I retire, I'm going to build the house at the lake. Um, and whenever your mummy and I retire, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing the other. And, and I sat with him every day for the last six weeks um, in the afternoons. And, you know, one day I was just sitting beside him and I was holding his hand and I thought, no matter how tight I hold your hand, you're dying and you're going to die. And the reality is I couldn't even take a minute out of my business for myself. And much as I don't regret it, I, I could take that time out to sit every afternoon with my dad. Yeah. So after he passed away, I thought, I'm not living. I am actually chasing my tail. Yeah. Um, and the twins now like were had a, a couple of years left. Uh, they were just starting to pick their subjects for GCSEs. So I thought, actually, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to close my boutique and I'm going to put that into my property portfolio and rent it out and give someone else an opportunity um, to have a business. And it's about the mindset, you know. So instead of thinking I have failed, I, I thought, no, I can take a rental income off five or six hundred pounds a month off this and I had the loan paid on the shop at this stage I can that's the thing that's taken up the most of my time 40 50 hours a week yeah. and I can have time with my children to make the most of life and that's what I've done and you know you've heard me say before Chris you know my my staff were so disappointed that I was closing the shop what, what do you mean we love working for you you know and my sisters what do you mean we get our clothes at cost price you know and and, and my customers you know and as I said you know whenever I close that there's nobody naked in Market Hill since it even though the guilt felt terrible yeah 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 and the worst thing was my mother, she said, oh, God, don't tell me that our business has failed. Do you know, and I had read somewhere and I said, mother, fail means first attempt in learning. And I now know I can make more money by doing less. And um, but, you know, you have to work through it all and you have to work through all the processes of um, of getting yourself to that point. And that was like um, eight years, seven, seven years from I had uh started seven and a half years I think it was by the time I won it down um but you know it takes courage to stop yeah. that thing that you created um and much as I felt like a great sense of relief whenever it actually closed I actually locked the door took the paper money out of the till and locked the door and didn't go back for about a fortnight I couldn't I felt like it had died and, and there was an, almost like a grieving process yeah um but, you know, it has to be done to move yourself forward. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm, I'm just uh, thinking there from the point of view of you feel as if you're letting people down. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's selling a house when you've a tenant in it for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it's, yeah. not, it's not being selfish, but as you say, you know, you, you sat holding your father's hand and sometimes you need to take a step back and go, I need to do this for me. 
or for yeah. my family or whatever. Yeah, um, and, yeah. And I think we're very good at doing things for other people and because that makes us feel good. Yeah. But whenever we take control of the situation and we say we can't do this anymore, we feel guilty, but you shouldn't because yeah. you're listening to yourself and what yeah. you need. And sometimes, you know, that you know that was a point in my life where I almost felt like I failed, which was a bit silly because I knew what I had. It's just, it's yeah. like kind of a mentality thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and so I went in a bit of personal development and, and whatnot at that time and, and, and realized actually I am successful in what I've done. But, you know, I, and then I went, well, if I could do that, I could do other things. I could do even more. Yeah. <laughs> and I got a little bit um, excited and uh, I, uh, I actually, oh, Chris, do you know what? I actually, by that time, I had my house in Dublin bought. I'd bought a house in Dublin, which was another thing taking me to another level. Yeah. Um, before how I did, actually closed How did that thing. come about, Rosalind? Yeah, well, I couldn't get buying in London anymore. And so I sat still for about a year, a year and a half. And then I thought, no, I need to do something more and I need to go to another level. Yeah. Um, and I, a friend of mine, the guy that I was working for actually had bought one in Dublin and I'd went to look at his. Now he, his was an absolute wreck and he was making it. Um, but I wanted something that was kind of nearly, you know, that needed just modernized rather yeah. than, than taken to bits. Yeah. So I looked for quite some time, but I actually managed to buy one. And again, I remember, you know, I was going from a hundred, you know, odd thousand um to uh, i had to put a hundred thousand into that property in dublin of my hard-earned money yeah. and to get to buy that and that was a that was a an accumulation of raising some money on my shop in market hill raising some money on one of the flats in london and it, i felt a bit like shaky about it um but you know but i knew that i'd done the numbers i could see through the other guy what the rental income I could calculate my own I was being conservative you know I could do the numbers yeah. but oh my goodness like I actually felt really it's, ill about it, it. I, I came I did the bank in college green and I didn't know whether I was going to faint or throw up on the street yeah um, <laughs> it's one thing borrowing the money off the bank it's another thing having a bit a big chunk of your own money and you know it, yeah yeah, and, and and the thing was, I had just bought this house at 320000 that wasn't even livable. Yeah. So I had to get all the work done. Yeah, and I, and I'm sure you probably spent something similar on top of that, did you know? Yeah. Uh, well, I think I spent, no, I, I spent 80000 because it was oh. absolutely crazy time in London, in Dublin. And as soon as I got, I started at the top of the house, and as soon as I got that one finished, I rented it. Yeah. And the next one next door, as soon as that was finished, I rented it and the whole way right down. Like it was literally people were living in the building <coughs> site, but they were glad of it, you know. It was in two thousand. So just before the everything went absolutely bizarre. Well, it was really two thousand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because that was in Irish pounds actually at that time. Hadn't even changed to Euro. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, but that was three hundred thousand, and the rental income was sixty thousand a year. Which is, it's sixteen it's, to twenty percent, something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Off the top of my head, try, trying yeah. to think on camera there, and it's not yeah. working. <laughs>
And um, so, so you're in, you're in the Dublin now. So you're, you're sort of international. You're in London. You're in Portadown, and you're in Dublin. <laughs> what, 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 <laughs> what were you thinking of next? Um, was that? Well, I thought no. I thought it was complete. I couldn't take the stress of that anymore. You know, because um, I had my uh, then husband doing the work who wasn't even happy to be in Dublin doing the work. And we were meeting halfway on the road and swapping children over. And oh, it was, yeah. That was stressful. <laughs> yeah. We got there, like. <laughs> yeah. um, and and I thought, I need a break. I need a break. And that was actually, I still had the boutique at that time. And that was after that, my dad passed away and I sold the boutique or I, I rented the boutique out to someone else. Somebody else. So they, they took over the business. Did they keep the staff or whatever? No, no, they didn't take over the business because, you know, boutiques are, and for anybody who's thinking of buying a clothes shop, yeah. you know, the, the buyer is the business. Yeah. You know, and I was the business and I, some people did approach me, but the thing is, I explained to them that I was the business and unless they had the exact same taste as me, which is entirely impossible, they could never have bought my business. And yeah. you know what, it, people would call that a bit naive and I should have took the money and ran. Yeah. But you know what, I, I believe in karma and I didn't think it was the right thing to do. Absolutely. I mean, it's the honourable thing to do not to yeah. just be taking somebody's money because, yeah. you know, yeah. to say a, a fool and his money are easily parted. And unfortunately, some people are, are naive. People are easily parted with their money. Well, they I can... think that people would have looked at that and said, gosh, hasn't she done well for herself? You know, she's a nice big house down the road. She drives a Mercedes. Do you I know, I, I, I could have that. I could have all of that. But the reality was that wasn't how I was making my money. Yeah. I, and I think from business, and I'm thinking back to what you said about, you know, being in management and finance, and sometimes a lot of people, when they think about starting a business, it's because they can do the job in the business that they're in. Yes. Yes. And, and they've got the skills to do the job, but they don't have the skills to actually run a business. And, and then yeah. when they come out and things don't work out for them, they wonder, well, what happened there? Because I was yeah. very good at doing that. Yeah, you were. You were. You had the skills to work in the business, but you hadn't got the yeah. skills to work on a to business. Work on yeah, yeah. And it's it's I call it the business behind the business. And over yeah. the years, I've rented that shop to several people, and they have done exactly the same thing. And I've mentored them, and I've helped them along, and I've showed them you've overbought. And unfortunately, it isn't just that whoops, that's a mistake with too much stock. It actually hurts your pocket. Yeah. You need to know exactly how much your business needs to run every week, and 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 what that turnover is, and what that will equate down into stock. Yeah. that you need to buy in, do you know? And it is a fine balance and it's not easy, but I'm digressing here because we're not really talking about that today. <laughs> no, no. Um, so moving on, I, ju I want you to touch, yeah. uh, Rosalind, on the, on the stuff you bought in Chester because it was... Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I then took a break for a while um, and then I, a friend of mine told me about these property auctions in London and I went there um, just to see, brought my son with me and he was super excited and wanted to bid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like he was only about 17 or 18. He was like, no, no, you're not old enough. But anyway, I'm going to yeah, keep, keep your hand down. Keep your hand down. Don't rub your nose. <laughs> <laughs> and anyhow, um, I bought a hotel and a month later I went back and I bought a pub. Now I bought these on sale on leaseback. So I bought them from the brewery. They bought them back of me. And immediately whenever I bought them, they paid me the rent. So it was it was just an 
you could call it an exercise. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't really much excitement in that, but um, it was good returns. And my, my rule, Chris, was I needed an 80% return minimum on my properties. That was my rule for me. Was, was that 8% yield? Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 I just felt it was a good cushion. Um, you know, it, it was a, a good place to be, preferably 10 if you can get it, you know, or a yeah. bit more. But 8 is the, the cut off, you know. Um, and I think on one of them, I was getting um, a 12% return and the other one a 10% return. So it was nice. It was nice and created an income, uh, adding to the income. And then um, the valuator or the, the guy that I had out looking at these properties um, to do the surveys for me on them, he contacted me and said, would you ever be interested in anything in Chester? Now, I didn't know what Chester was. And I said, oh, she'll have a look. Where is it? And he said, south of Manchester. And I said, right, mm -hmm. she'll have a look. And um, I flew over and I went to meet the guy. And whenever I stood on the street, I never seen anything like it in my life. I was so, totally taken by the area. And for those that know it, it's um, all the buildings are 600 years old. It's within a wall. There's one shot on top of the other really really beautiful yeah. and now i was looking at a, a shop that was rented out to odd bins which is a, a, a winery yeah and a flat on the upstairs um but i got i bid on that by um uh, scottish widows the pension company yeah. yeah and then there was another one across the street that i got i bid again by another pension company and i was like oh this is a bit strange so it started doing more more digging into what's this Chester, what's this really about? And I find out that it's like kind of the London of the northwest of England and um the the Duke of um can't remember his name. Westminster. Yes, lives in just outside of Chester and owns the Grosvenor Hotel. He owns the half of Chester. Yeah. So I thought, well, if it's good enough for the Duke of Westminster, he'll not be losing any money. It should be good enough for little old me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then the, this agent guy called me and he said to me, Rosalind, um, they they I just had the guy the guys on wanting to know who was the person that outbid who was outbid on the odd bins and uh, they have a property that's not in the market. So I went along and had it and viewed it. And um, they, if, if I was interested in buying it, there was a dealer with Tony and Guy, the hairdressers that oh, yeah. we could put them in for 20 years or 15 years. So um, that was good, but it was the upstairs as you know, Chris, that really excited me. There was no water, there was no electricity. There was no toilets, there was no bathrooms, there was no nothing in the upstairs. And you were excited about that, Rosalind. <laughs> absolutely ecstatic. I could hardly hold my um, excitement away, you know, by... Most by other his... people, you wouldn't see them for smoke. I know, was, I know. down the street trying to get I away know. from the place. I know, I know. But, um, and, and there was parts where, you know, I had to climb a ladder and they were like, do you sure you want to go up there? I said, oh yeah, yeah, I'll just have a wee look. You know? <laughs> But anyhow, to cut the long story short, I I bought the property. Uh, finally got a deal with them. It took a while, but we got there. And um, then I got plan permission for the upstairs, and I made four uh, four three apartments and a little cottage at the very back of the building. So by the time I had it finished, 
Um, I bought that for 1.3 million and I spent 200,000 on it and it was worth 2 million. So we've just jumped from 360,000 oh, no. punts, which is in and around 360,000 sterling up to 1.3 million. Yeah, well, I paid a half a million for the pub and a half, four fifty for the hotel. Oh, oh okay. So, so you know, yeah, but, but, I was. I mean, you're 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 more than doubled your previous highest there. So, the heart rate must have been going at that that point, or on the Chester one. Actually, there was no heart rate. I was right. actually really really calm about it, um, and I, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do with it, and I structured it in a way. You know, with my strategic mind, I can either rent these four apartments, I've done them all individually, then I could sell them off individually. And actually selling them off individually would have paid the loan on the shops, do you know, or I could sell the shops and not pay the, for the loan. And, the, do you know, and I had it all, you know, I always like kind of like plan A, plan B, yeah. and a possibly plan C if possible. Yeah, several exit strategies. Yeah, yeah. And that is the thing whenever you're buying a property, you do need to look at, okay, so it, is this resellable? And if it's really hard to buy, it's going to be hard to sell. Exactly. Yeah. You know? um, and, and it's about not being in like Northgate Street, actually, where the Grosvenor Hotel is the, was at that time was the street. Um, and the street that I'm in, Common Hall, or in Bridge Street, wasn't as, as good a street, but it was still within the, the four um from the central of the town there's like a little cross and that's the yeah. epitome of the center and this is only like 500 yards from the cross on the b street if you want to call it okay for, for easier but actually now it's transpired into the eatery street because the sun shines on it and it's possibly the a street now oh, um, so it's like you know and the way I looked at it was it, it spilled over not far from the A Street at the time. So there's a, there's capacity for that to grow, where if you buy and push yourself to the A Street, there's no, the growth won't be as good. Yeah. If yeah. you understand. I, I suppose it's a good way of looking at things is, you know, if you, if you can't buy in the A Street or maybe it's not fitting in with your strategy, buy as close to it as possible because the property is going to be as cheap and you might, you might get the rents and then as things start to move out um yeah it will always yeah 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 you know, your property will get caught up in whatever's good about the a street um yeah uh i'm, I'm just conscious of time Rosalind. Um, right. uh because i think we've been going about an hour so yeah. far but it seems like 10 minutes but i just looked at my clock there i thought oh it's 20 past 12. but um so uh, j just sort of bringing it up to up to now where yeah. are you with all the stuff that, that where you, am i now have you got rid of any have you kept any yeah yeah i all my houses in portadown are sold oh. some of those some of those were sold um for the deposit for the hotel and the pub um right. so that was about letting go to move something bigger yeah. okay um, and i sold those for sixty thousand each so you know yeah, more than double what you paid for them. Exactly. And, you know, that's back to that, you know, if, if the double, that's good. Yeah. Um, and I I sold off um, a few years ago, like not that long ago, I sold off my flats in London and I sold them off um, so that I paid off my place in Dublin and paid off most of my place in Chester. Um, because, and I actually only looked the other day to see how much are my flats in London worth now? 
<laughs> you shouldn't really do it like but you know what there's still worth things that i had said oh. that um that they the the one that i sold in acton actually um was the highest price that is be that has been got achieved for that area um in fact fifty thousand over the ass over what it's valued at now okay so you got yeah, out, so you got out of there at the right time yeah, I did. Do you know, because I, I couldn't see where the next person was going to make money. I yeah. couldn't, do you know. And and to be honest, um, it was between the mall, it was like kind of between 450 and five, 520,000 was the most that I got for one of them. 450 was the least and the other one was in the yeah. middle. And so, you know, I'd done extremely well. And it's yeah. about, and and like, for instance, um, you know, if you look at the you know the rental income that I get off of the house in Dublin, like there is, it was much more. It was more sensible to pay off that. Yeah. Um, because the rental income is huge on that. And and just you know from the London point of view, going back to the things you've said several times, it's like leaving something in it for somebody else. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Because people might think, oh, I got a wee bit over the odds for that property there. But you know what? Somewhere along the line, you'll get a wee bit under the odds for some other thing. So yeah. it's sort of swings yeah. and roundabouts. And you need to leave a wee bit in it for the next guy. I, I... Yeah, yeah. And and here's another scenario that happened. A friend of mine was with me and she nearly fell off the chair. Um, I had the, the, one of the, the properties was valued at, at 450 Okay, And then we had 23 viewers in 24 hours in London. So um, we got to 480 and I thought that's it. And then someone bid 520,000. Wow. And they came on the phone and I said, no, I'm not taking it. And my friend went, what? <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not taking it. We've had 23 people. We've, we've bid it up. It'll never value up. And you know what's going to happen? Then they're going to come back and they're going to go. They can't get the mortgage. The yeah. mortgage people only lend them X. And consequently, whenever they can't get that bit, they don't have enough deposit and all my bars are now gone. Yeah, Mr. 480K has disappeared and bought something else. Exactly. And that was my thoughts. However, <laughs> the next day, the estate agent phoned me back to say they were totally affronted that I wouldn't take their offer. And I told the estate agent why. And he said, but her daddy is prepared to pay cash. So will you take the 529? I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That'll do. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no valuation taking place. So, um, no, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and I said, so long as he shows proof of funds. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so, and then, Chester, you, you've, you mentioned there you've still got Dublin. Dublin, uh, you've paid it off. It brings you in a nice income that you yeah. could you could live in that alone. Um, oh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, and yeah. then, Chester, um, Still yeah. Um, well, I have I I was running my the four apartments or three in the cottage as holiday lets, yeah. and then I decided in October last year that I didn't want to do that anymore. I'd done it for twelve years and created a really good income and a good business out of it. And um, so I interviewed a few agents, and one of them came back to me and said, "My business partner and I would actually like to take on what you're doing." Um, so the long-term lets, I would have got um, 42000 a year for the four apart four. Um, and they offered me thirty nine, taking it there and then. And it's a commercial decision. And yeah. I just thought, 
actually that's not a no-brainer and yeah. and and so it's all i'm just doing now is creating a few invoices a month and no life simple and life is simple you're, yeah. you're not having to fly back and forward to make sure there's enough duvet covers and exactly exactly <laughs> Funny when and you no tenant that. and no tenant ringing me on a friday night saying i'm locked out yeah or i uh, can't find the key or whatever or, or i haven't got my check-in details or yeah. any of that stuff and funny when yeah. you when you said there you've been doing it for 12 years i thought 12 years like you no, know, six years ago, a lot of people here had never heard of serviced accommodation before. I know. But at that point, you'd already been doing it six years prior to that. Yeah, yeah. And Chris, I, I had was runner up to self catering award of the year two years in a row in Chester. Do you know oh. which was great publicity yeah. for the business? Yeah. Do you know? But it, it and and again, that was I couldn't get them rented. Um, I got one rented whenever I had them finished and I couldn't get it rented. And, and you know, I had to do something. And I had, it's that about being flexible and thinking outside the box and what can you do to be different, yeah. you know? And, and and it worked and it was really good. Um, you know, I was adamant on that part of the business. I didn't want to be fat, um, paying fat. So I worked hard to keep it below 85,000 a year for turnover, you know, yeah. which is, yeah. which is, good over the four apartments so, so it sounds like Rosalind you've sort of cut back on a lot of the the, yeah. the heavy duty stuff that you needed yeah. to do to be yeah. running a portfolio in London or uh, Chester or Dublin or whatever um, obviously that's taken over and it's paying you a, a nice little income what what do you what do you do with your time nowadays Gardening. <laughs> I was going to say you sound as if you're not as busy as you used to be, but I'm sure you still are. I'm not. I'm not. Well, I I speak to some women's groups, and um, and and again, you know, when I'm passionate about property, still, and would look at the odd thing. Um, I haven't taken anything up a project as yet, um, but I'm not saying that I won't entirely. Um, but I'm just actually enjoying life a wee bit now. Um, as you know, for my fiftieth, I walked the Great Wall of China. Yes. And. Um, as a celebration, so I, I like, I have a mobile home, as, as you know, we dropped in one day in Mary. And um, so I go there and I walk up in the mornings at the weekends and yeah, and I'm just enjoying life yeah. um, and taking it easy for a wee while. I'd say it's just a break until I... Um, Decide to do something else. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. it sounds like, you know, just the, the theme running through it, that there's been times throughout your life where you've decided... And, you know, I'm not going to go full on here. I'm going to take a little break, wait for yeah. something else to happen and then go, yeah. you know, get yeah. it and, and get, get stuck into yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. A, a wee woman said to me one time, a wee spiritual lady, and she said, it's time for you to let your soul catch up with your body. And I think yeah. that's what you could just say now. And maybe we're all doing it in this lockdown, you know, where our souls are catching up with our bodies. But you know what? Whenever you do take that step back, Chris, you can come back stronger and better than ever before. And there's no, you know, we have this, you know, thing of um, more, better, best and bigger and better. And, and goodness sake, I've been the, you know, um, that's what I was on, you know, and it's like, you just want to do better all the time but yeah. it's you don't have to it's not a, it's not really important and I, and I think for somebody starting out probably investing you know I'd say work out exactly how much rental income you need to sustain you in a nice quality of life yeah and then buy up you know buy whatever you feel you and buy over that and 
so that whenever you get a bit more capital growth, then let some of those things go pay off. And now you're sitting with a nice lump sum. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, I didn't have a mentor, so I had to just roll my life out and see yeah. how it all happened. <laughs> and, and, but I mean, there's there's any number of mentors out there um, yeah. nowadays. Do you wish you had had a mentor or was it more exciting or was it more scary to be doing it on your own and finding um, out as you went along? Do you know, I suppose that it, uh, there were scary times and it would have been nice to have someone to say, you know, you're doing fine. You're just doing yeah. fine. And that's that thing for working for yourself. There's no one to take you into their office and say, actually, I think you're amazing at what you're doing and wow, you've gone so far. And and I didn't even realize I'd done so much. I just yeah. kept going. So I think it's about learning to take a little step back and say, is this where I want to be? And, yeah. and what is it that I want? And, and, you know, and as you say, appreciating yourself for what, for yeah. what, because we, you know, that little voice in our head is the biggest critic we'll have, you know, because other people can say stuff. What, what is it they say? Most people listen to about 10% of what other people say, but they listen to 90% of what their own mind tells them. I know. And sometimes we're far harder. Like you wouldn't allow a friend to speak to you, or you know, the way that you speak to yourself. Yeah, sometimes. the way that we, that we voice talk to you. Yeah. yeah. Um, just, just to finish up, Rosalind, a couple of questions. Um, is there anybody that, inspires you who who would who would be your person of inspiration oh gosh um hmm you know is it is it a tony robbins is it is it a friend is it well you'd inspire you know, yourself <laughs> <laughs> and i'm sure you have done for a long time i don't really inspire myself and um, do you know what i always um liked you know, and, and and she's not with us no more, Lady Diana, because I loved her compassion and her empathy, you know, for other people. And no matter, even though I've been a businesswoman, I've always had that compassion and empathy for other people. And I think it's been able to touch people's lives and make that difference, whether it's making them a home or, or making them, you know, something uh, to feel good about themselves. Now, you can't do that every day because some days you don't, you know, you just wake up normal like everybody else and you think, oh my God, I'm a mess. I'm not, you know. Um, and another person who inspired me was Louise Hay. Um, she's passed away now as well. Um, she wrote the book, You Can Heal Your Life. Um, and I actually met her in London on her 80th birthday, um, which was really nice for me. Um, and and she's, you know, and she's all about, um, you know, you can heal your life, you can heal yourself and you can create that wonderful life, you know, for yourself that you really, really want. Um, and, and she really inspired me in very dark days and dark times in my life. Um, and then, well, I've spent... Um, last year I graduated. Um, it was a three-year thing that I done. Um, the School for Transformational Leadership. Um, it's a math. It's called Mastery. The School of Transformational Leadership. And I graduated from that last year. And that's about um, you know who are you as a person? And you feel in the first year it's like you think you have to be doing something, but then you realise you're not a doing, you're a being. Um, so it's like, you know, so what what are you being in the world, you know, and, and for me, it's about, you know, um, valuing and appreciating the people around me and, 
you know, and being that person and not listening for somebody else. Um, so I think it's, I think I'm probably moving to the direction of being able to um, do something in, in, in mentoring and, and helping people, yeah. you know, rather than I have, a you know, I've walked my own shoes as yeah. in my own shoes. Um, and therefore, I think, you know, at almost 54, there's not many people that's had that privilege. Um, and some people may say it's tough. There's been tough times. There's been good times. There's been all all sorts of things. So there's a there's a whole world of um, of um, experience there to share. And I I don't I, I believe that I'm still here because I've got something to share that's yeah. important. And and again, that's going back to the the theme throughout where you said you know leaving something in it for somebody else. You've got you know this knowledge this uh this story this background that's going to inspire other people and it has to be shared with other yeah, people yeah it's kind of like your unfortunately, legacy and unfortunately now is kind of not the right time because there's no, no. events on and um everything's online and and I, I i sometimes feel that um to get the the, the person out of the story you need to actually be there and live yeah. and see people i i, I think yeah you know, and i do too chris i find zoom difficult because i'm a more of a like how does the energy feel in the room yeah. type thing yeah. um, to be able to to get the best out of people. And you know that I was speaking for two years there for the, the Great British um, Business Expo at businesses all around England. Yeah. And I and then I've been doing some work for um, the women in business in Northern Ireland as well. Um, so I'll, I'll get into that a wee bit more now, you know, as, as things move on. And I'm just like kind of taking a break for now. Good stuff. Rosalind, um, thank you very much. There's been loads of takeaways. And I was saying there, but, you know, I always find something to call the, this this podcast, like give it a name. And I've got about six or seven there. So I'm not going to tell you which one I'm going to use, but I was scribbling things as you were talking. I thought that's a good name. Oh, no, that's a good name. So I've, I've, I need to make my mind up there. Um, but listen, I, I know a little bit more of it and we could we could talk for days. Um, yeah. But it's been it's been one hell of a journey, Rosalind, up until now. I would say I would think you would agree. Um, and I I wish you all the best in whatever it is. And Thank you. I can't wait to we're back in rooms live so that more and more people can hear your story. So thank you very much. You're welcome, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.